Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. Uh, I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I'm uh, about to leave the fucking podcast. <laughs> That's going in the end clip for those who want to stick around. Stick to the now. end to find out what the fuck Bradley Find out what the is. end clip is. It's going to be great. If, if you're just joining us, uh, the section you heard at the beginning uh, where Bradley does the intro, that is dubbed over. Uh, and then it cuts in when I start talking. And he will always do something to try to make me break. This time he... Ugh, Jesus that Christ, was pretty, Bradley. It was, that was I want to hear good. that in my nightmares. It was pretty good, actually. Uh, I think I channeled my inner uh, YouTuber slash TikTok for that one. That was really fucking funny. Good God. I hate you so fucking much. I keep myself alive with my hatred for you. If you are just joining us, we are filling some time in between Obi-Wan Kenobi and the premiere of Andor by watching Rogue One in three parts, treating each act like its own episode of TV. It's a little experimental thing we're doing. Today, we are talking about act three of Rogue One, which I have classified as being the minute where they walk out of the base to get on the shuttle and they do the actual Rogue One scene all the way up to the end of the movie. Good. So that that is where we are operating. Disclaimer at the top. I had to do this a little bit in act one. I'm going to do it again here. I am going to do my best to try to summarize each section. But especially once the Battle of Scarif starts, there's going to be a lot that's jumping around back and forth that I'm just yeah. not going to be able to summarize. So <laughs> bear with us. If you're watching the movie, you'll understand what we're, where, where we're going. But I won't be able to mention everything all of the time. Otherwise, we already be here for a really long time. And we have recorded Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 all in the same day. Because one of us has a new job. And one of us doesn't know what his next two weeks is going to look like. And one of us is getting a paycheck that he's going to blow on Funko Pops again. Yes. <laughs> I like how Bradley's just like, I, I'm not even going to defend it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. All right, Bradley. So this section here, uh, essentially the Battle of Scarif, uh, what was one thing you liked and one thing you did not from Act 3 of the movie? Um, well, one thing I liked a lot was... Darth Vader. Which is all. funny because you didn't like Darth Vader in Act 2 of the movie. You thought the scene was unnecessary. So I've, I've had this discussion before and I feel like if you take out, as much as I love the line, don't choke on your aspirations. I think if you take out that scene and you leave the Vader stuff until the very, very end of this movie and you surprise us with the Darth Vader scene at the end, it would be glorious. You would never see it coming because it would just be him appearing at the end of the hall. And that's where we first see him for the very first time. That's that would be a pure shock moment. And people would ne- I mean, it was still already that. But if that was by itself, all it was, and we never even see Vader up until then. I think it would be so well observed. What was one thing you did not like? One thing I didn't like. This is this is kind of hard but it's very tricky this is by far the best act of the movie yeah yeah because there's so many good things in this movie um maybe the the certain i'm I'm gonna say the deaths of some of the characters i didn't care for i just felt like they were just some of them just felt like a little shoehorned in and that may have to do with the fact that we'll talk about it the reshoots and stuff like that 
we covered the reshoots a little bit in episode one, but I'll say here at the top, they reshot the third act extensively. Uh, and if you you missed our episode one coverage, I've read different versions of the story. Uh, in every version of the story, they had already filmed, they'd completed principal photography on the movie. And there was a meeting with Gareth Edwards, the director, and some big shots at Lucasfilm, including Kathleen Kennedy. And whether Edwards successfully pitched that all of Rogue One should die or Kennedy beat him to the punch, I have heard both versions of the story. I don't have a primary source in front of me. Uh, they elected to reshoot basically the entire third act of the movie. Now, reshoots are extremely common in Hollywood, happens all the time. The only reason you hear about them on Star Wars movies is because it's Star Wars movies. Uh, that's the only reason anyone cares. However, reshooting an entire third act of a movie to basically change the ending is unheard of. So that's, I talked about artifacting in act one and act two of, of stuff that's just sort of left behind that doesn't pay off. It, I think it's because they reshot basically the entire third act of this movie. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that there isn't stuff that they added that was not amazing and that was great and that should be there because I enjoyed it a lot. But it is weird that they would have done that. It, it's just a, it's just an odd choice. It's it's fine that they did. I mean, you know, that happens. And But you're right. It's so extensive to the point where I just, I'm very curious as to what the original, I'm putting that in air quotes, original movie would have looked like if you had not reshot the entire third act, like what it would have, what the story would have ended up being. Yeah, I think my, my one thing I liked, I'm going to go with the, the space battle and specifically any of the stuff aboard the Profundity. This is the design of Admiral Radis's command where it's at the bottom of the ship and he's like, he's got the glass floor and you can, he's looking down and the planet is beneath him. I think it's really cool set piece uh, and is different than the home one, uh, but still kind of evokes it, which I think was really cool. One thing I didn't like, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on some of the deaths felt a little like some of the deaths were great, like um, K2's death. Fantastic. Bodhi's felt very underwhelming the first time I saw the movie. Uh, and I'll talk about specifically his, but some of them, his and Baze's felt a little underwhelming because they complete their objective and then they just sort of die. And it feels like, okay, we're done with these characters now. Bye. Uh, I also didn't really like the Cassian fake out where they showed him looking dead. Uh, I wasn't wild about that. All right, I'm going to do the best I can to summarize this act. Jin and the newly assembled crew of rebel soldiers exits the base and boards the stolen Imperial shuttle, which I incorrectly called the U-Wing earlier in this recording. They are confronted by Rebel Flight Command, who asks for their call sign, and Bodhi improvises that they are Rogue One. Meanwhile, back inside the temple, Mon Mothma asks Bail Organa if they could retrieve his Jedi friend who has been in hiding in Tatooine since the events of Revenge of the Sith. Bail says he will send someone he trusts and that he trusts her with his life. Shout out to the score, Michael Giacchino's score for this movie. Yeah. I believe Andre Desplat was supposed to be the, the writer for this movie. And I think some of his stuff still made it in, but they had to change composers when they did the reshoots because it wasn't really working. They couldn't get Alexander Desplat back. The old score wasn't working for the film anymore. And Giacchino, who wrote this score, wrote it in a month. He wrote the whole score in a month, which given how fucking good this score is, is incredible. It really is. Especially, I mean... I keep saying this, but literally the latter half of the movie, the music just throughout the final couple scenes is so good. 
like you just you get the like emotional like you're just like wow this is so fucking great like it just flows with the the action and everything i've seen it like 12 times and i cry at the end of this movie so good so good um i have a note here that that we think a lot of jen in terms of her relationship with her father but she is very much demonstrating the the outspoken qualities of her mother that Mm. we see in the the faith that her mother has in the opening uh jen now has faith maybe not necessarily in the force but in hope in goodness that shines across in these scenes uh i think that other material hasn't really explored the relationship between jen and, and lyra urso but i wish it would so i thought that was something that stuck out to me this is the origin of the rogue call sign that will eventually be used you like uh, this i i do like this okay I do like this a lot. I have, I, for context, listeners, if, if, if Rogue One, if you haven't seen a lot of, I was going to say, if you haven't seen a lot of Star Wars films, if you're watching the show, you've listening to this show, you have probably seen a lot of Star Wars films. This is the origin of Rogue Squadron that we see in episodes five and six. And Rogue Squadron was a very big deal in Legends because there was an entire book of series about them called X-Wing. They're a big deal. This is the origin of that call sign in canon. Uh, I did like it. I thought it was clever. Uh, I thought that they, the fact that they never used the call sign Rogue One again in honor of Rogue One. Rogue Two. We have right. uh, Rogue that... Leader, Rogue Leader, and then Rogue Two. Rogue Two, that's right. There's I no just Rogue that. One. Uh, and then it goes down. No, I really like this. I thought it was a fun, it was one of the first clips from the movie we saw, actually. There was an actual clip from the movie and it was not a trailer, it was this sequence. Mm. Um, I love that the, the one of the most famous fighter squadrons in the entire rebellion was birthed by one guy making shit up as he went along. We do briefly get a shot of a, a, a guy in the tower. We're on Yavin. We have to see a guy in a tower. But of course. Okay, let's finally talk about the Mon Mothma Bail Organa scene. Okay, good. Because I have I have two interesting notes here. The first is that I did not know Mon Mothma knew about Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is odd part of this that I didn't quite actually I didn't even pick up on that um when I was watching this I was thinking more so along the lines of like how like I was thinking Kenobi in my brain like you know stuff and I was thinking about that so I wasn't even thinking about the fact that Mon Mothma brings up the fact that she knows she brings him up right and she's not involved in the stuff in Revenge of the Sith and we don't know enough about her between the two to know if Bail Organa told her I mean I guess my only thought is that in the intervening time like things have gotten so dire to the point now where he brought it up to her, like, hey, there may be this person that can help. But clearly he didn't tell her about the events of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Right. He did not tell her that part. Because, and granted, this was filmed before Obi-Wan Kenobi came out, uh, right. because they talk about he's been hiding on Tatooine since the purge. He doesn't bring up, yeah, he fucked off from Tatooine that one time to rescue my daughter. He didn't bring this up. He just says she's been hiding on Tatooine. So like Mon Mothman knows about Obi-Wan Kenobi, but she doesn't know about the events of the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, which I'm mm. like, I want to know how much he actually tells her. Is that all your your comments on this scene, Bradley? Yeah, it just I thought I thought it was just like a it was like a nice, it, you know, a nice um, I don't know, it just like a nice connection to it. Like, especially since we know he's talking about Leia. We know he's talking about Kenobi. And in the original context, before Kenobi came out, you know, it was obviously like, oh, this is just setting up new hope or whatever. But it gives different meaning to it now that we know there's history there. That And why Bale sends Leia. Right. Why he sends her because he now, now, now he's like, you know what? It would be nice for them to see each other again kind of thing. Like that's, 
he especially since this is such an important thing that he needs to do like hey this jedi is important we need to get him well i'm going to send someone who's very important and is the only person that else that knows where this guy is and mm-hmm. that would be leia uh and also clearly like he ropes captain antilles like captain antilles knows why they're there because um, he goes and he has a conversation with him uh, who is not related to Wedge Antilles. These are two separate Antilles characters. Uh, this is Captain Ramus Antilles, who we'll see at the end of the movie. Yeah, I. this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, but it's so quick and it, probably because, you know, Mon Moth was one of my favorite characters, but it's so interesting to wonder, like, how much did Bale, is Bale actually telling her about, right. like, does she know who Fulcrum was? Did she know that? Because she doesn't, Maybe he didn't tell her stuff while she was part of the Imperial Senate in case she was interrogated. These are questions that I have. Rogue One arrives in an Imperial shuttle on the planet of Scarif. After sneaking their way through the shield gate, they ambush the team sent out to inspect the vehicle and Jin, Cassian, and K2 prepare to sneak in while the rest of Rogue One plants explosives around the base at Scarif. Meanwhile, director Krennic arrives and demands that they go through 10 years worth of Galen Erso's emails to see if there's anything that he might have compromised the Death Star project. At Cassian's signal, explosives planted around Scarif detonate, and Krennic demands that they send out the garrison to investigate. Okay, we're going to do our third and final, what is this in World War II theater? Are you ready, Bradley? I am ready. So we've had... North Africa for Jeddah. Okay. We've had Edu for the European theater. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have Scarif, which is the South Pacific, which is the other major battlefield during World War II. So the war in the Pacific, a lot of times people think of like, like we were in Germany and then we were in the South Pacific. They were kind of happening simultaneously. Um, but The way that we fought World War II, we focused on Germany first because we thought it was the more frightening of the two powers. Uh, And then we turned our attention to Japan. Uh, But Scarif is very reminiscent of the tropical South Pacific. So that is our third and final location. It is a really good thing that Bodhi knows the Imperial docking procedures. Uh, If he had died by, say, Borg Gullet or just uh, on Jeddah or whatever, (laughs) this would would never have have made it in. Never. And and I just realized it this time when watching the movie, I'm like, oh, he knows the Imperial procedure because he's a cargo pilot and they're flying a cargo shuttle. Uh, Once they land and, and they've ambushed the people, we get our first of three bad feeling subversions. So we have... Three bad feeling subversions in a row. We have this one where K2 starts to say it and Cassian cuts him off. We have Last Jedi where BB-8 says the line, I have a bad feeling about this. And then we have Solo where Han says, I have a great feeling about this. I think they play it straight in Rise of Skywalker, but I'm not 100% sure. This is our first of Disney subverting the bad feeling in the movies. I got a bad feeling. Shh, quiet. Yep. Uh, I have in all caps in my notes, space train, space train. Oh my God. (laughs) When they're on the tram and we see it like jetting, I'm like, this is close enough to a train. Although the scenes inside the base were filmed in a train station or like a subway station of some sort. And you know what? 
it seems obvious more so in the fact that in the trailer, I keep bringing up this fucking trailer. There's scenes from the trailer where they're running in this station and there's all these troopers and like they're running along the way. It looks like a train station. So this is filmed inside some sort of train station. Um, I forgot to write down the name, but I do know that they like filmed it at night Mm because they could only use the station when it wasn't operational and they had to like smuggle props in during the day and hide them until night came and they could shut down the station. Nice. Uh, so this is filmed in an actual, some sort of train subway station in Ooh, London. Movie magic. Movie magic. <laughs> I wrote down, lol, they're really going to read 10 years of Galen Erso's emails. Yeah, I was like, um, you're going to sit there and try to sift through files? Like, like what? What? Like, it doesn't make any you're gonna sense. You're going to read all of his emails. Um, you know that the interns uh, that are working at Scarif are pissed because oh yeah, not only do they have to deal with muggy beach weather when they go outside to go to Starbucks to get coffee for all the Imperial officers, they have to <laughs> now they have to sit there well, and sift through stuff. Briley Ronan would do it. Oh, of course he would do it. He would do it. But to be fair, he's going to go to the Starbucks that's on like the 50th floor. And he's going to get it there instead of going to the one across the street because that one's slightly farther away, but he doesn't have to go outside. Bradley Run does not strike me as the type of person who wants to damage his skin in this way. Exactly. Well, here's canonically, right? Tarkin fucking hates Scarif. He loves the fact he gets to blow it up. And the reason is because Scarif is seen as like a cushy assignment. Mm. It's literally a beach planet. It's tropical temperate weather. Literally a beach planet. (laughs) Because you can only have one biome. And I thought about that when I was watching this. I was like, is the planet, I mean, I know we don't get to see the whole planet, but it feels like it's just one giant beach. And you're just like, hmm, this would be an amazing planet to live on. Like, why don't we just all come here? The way it's set up is like an an atoll, atoll. Yeah, the entire planet is like really tiny islands. I'm, I'm looking at a photo of it on Wikipedia. Okay. Or I was before the page crashed. And the whole thing is, yeah, just, just tiny islands. Tiny uh, islands. Dotted around. It's basically like Hawaii times 35,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Tarkin hates it because he thinks it makes the officers there weak. And we see this when the bombs start going off. Um, mm. Yes. And they don't. Krennic, who's not from Scarif, is like, deploy the fucking garrison are you kidding me right because nobody knows what to do it's like it's a bunch of old officers who've been enjoying their cushy assignment on scarif although um there there's a character del mico from battlefront 2 you watched all the battlefront 2 cutscenes. no i haven't yet uh you watched them you watched the operation sender cutscenes. that i did yes so Del Mico is a black-haired dude. Uh, canonically, he is here on Scarif during this battle. Oh. Uh, and he okay. does survive somehow. Somehow. We do see shore troopers for the first time when they do deploy the garrison. So that's our first look at shore troopers. We'll see them again. On the Death Star, Grand Moff Tarkin is alerted that there has been a rebel incursion on Scarif. Meanwhile, back at the rebel base, a comm officer frantically chases after Mon Mothma to inform her of rebel activity on Scarif and that Admiral Raddus has taken his fleet. The dude that Tarkin is talking to in his little scene, who comes and tells him, is a dude named uh, 
Admiral Ramadi. Ramadi is actually in A New Hope. He is in the, the conference room scene. He's okay. seated at the table. He is not on the Death Star when it blows up because he shows up later to bid for Han Solo's carbonite slab at a Crimson Dawn auction. It's complicated. Okay. <laughs> Crimson Dawn got their hands on Han Solo and carbonite and Kira tried to auction him off. It's a whole thing. But this dude was the dude that was sent to bid on him on behalf of the Empire. And then Vader showed up with a lightsaber and that was Vader's bid. Vader does not walk away with Han Solo's carbonite body. But this dude was in A New Hope. Uh, they mentioned taking the Death Star into hyperspace. This is our first confirmation ever that the Death Star can do that. It's kind of implied that the Death Star can move through hyperspace. Uh, but this is the first on-screen confirmation that the Death Star can move through hyperspace. And I'm glad they didn't show us it doing it because I feel like that would have been a little odd to see like i i like how whenever it would have removed the it. ominousness somewhat right i like whenever they do end up showing the the death star it's just it just appears in other places they don't ever show it leaving one place and going to another because you have to think like how the fuck is it moving like where, where there's no thrusters on the bottom it's just a fucking satellite essentially and they just have to somehow maneuver it it's great like a question. It, Let's find out. Yeah, there's like no Death way it moves. Like, does it have like little thrusters on its butt? Like that we don't see? Like, you know, I mean, that's all I can think of. The DS1 Death Star Mobile Battle Station. <laughs> you just said it yourself. Let's see how it, it's it's in the name, Mobile Battle yeah, Station. It's just it's just a station though. Like they just float. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think it come it, like it it can maneuver its way into planets' orbits and then it just stays in orbit although that raises the question of like how bad is it fucking up the tides when it's in orbit like if it stays in orbit for an extended period of time just glancing at the the wikipedia page i i can't necessarily uh okay with the exception of the crust the station's entire interior space was uninhabited uh and housed the hypermatter reactor hyperdrive 123 quad drive yard sublight engines and the station's super weapon. Jesus. It has 123 sublight engines and one really powerful hyperdrive. I guess so. There are blueprints of it that you can see on Wikipedia. Yes, we do get a, a cameo from the best, the main character of Star Wars, Chopper, in the background of the scene. Uh, this is the same chopper that is used for Rebels Recon. Okay. Rebels so, Recon is filmed in San Francisco, was filmed in San Francisco uh, at the Lucasfilm headquarters. Uh, they boxed up chopper. They have a, a fully animatronic chopper that they used for that because he's a character in Rebels Recon. They boxed it up and sent it over to Pinewood Studios, I believe, was where they shot this part. Or wherever they sent it in London. This was a plot point in Rebels Recon. Chopper thinks he's a movie star for one episode because he was in Rogue One for five minutes. I mean, I kind of love it. There's your Chopper fact for the day. <laughs> Good for Chopper. So yes, the animated shows have always been important and canon as, as far back as this movie. Question though, is this the first time we see an animated character show up in a live action film? 
A character that has debuted in debuted animation. in a right. That's what I mean. No, Saw Gerrera earlier in this movie. Okay, so Saw was the first. Or well, is he the first in all of the movies, or is he just the first in this the first character that appeared in animation first and then transitioned over? Yes, he is the first. He is the first character with Chopper as a close second. Saw just appears earlier in the movie. Got it. Okay, but this is the first film where cartoon characters... This is the first film where animated characters showed up. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Because Clone Wars was produced after Revenge of the Sith. Right. So, and none of... Nobody showed up in Force Awakens. Right. And Nobody who debuted in animation showed up in Force Awakens. And no one showed up in Solo or um, Last Jedi, correct? Nobody who debuted in animation showed up in Last Jedi, Solo, or Rise of Skywalker. Right. And then once Mandalorian started is when we started seeing characters like that. Correct. It was Mandalorian season two. Right. With that Katie Sackhoff made the jump. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Just wanted to get my facts straight. Uh, we don't do straight facts on this. We don't do straight anything on the show. <laughs> uh, I love when, when they tell her Admiral Raddus has taken his fleet to Scarif, Mon Mothma's little smile, which he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought he was going to do. And she's like, now if his fleet is there, I can send the rest of the rebel fleet to back him up because it's a military action now. He's gone ahead and instigated it with his fleet. She can now send her fighters to support, which is why red, blue, and green, red, blue, and another squadron are there. There's there's three fighter squadrons that she sends. Uh, we will get to those squadrons in the next section. Uh, but yes, bunch of fighters take off. Uh, we do get our also cameos from C-3PO and R2-D2. And I remember, so this was the first time we see, you know, we saw them in it and they were still following through with this whole, I don't want to call it a cameo, but like R2-D2, this started the trend of, oh, R2-D2 and C-3PO have to show up in every film, right? Or they had shown up in every film. They had shown up in every film. This one continued it. They do not appear in, they do not appear in Solo, although Anthony Daniels does playing a different character right which broke the trend and then people which were did like break the trend they were like man <laughs> but but yeah, yes. i'm glad they did that because it wouldn't have made sense if those two showed up you're like why would they show up in that movie let's talk about timeline because okay. there's some confusion about how are r2 and 3po here when the tanavi 4 is at scarif already with admiral radis so here's what is happening the tanavi tentative for the Rebel Blockade Runner is, is still on Yavin at this point. Um, the ship is undergoing, is, is not up to par. It's damaged somehow. And they take off with the rest of the fleet and they dock with the Profundity for repairs. And the Profundity is supposed to take them, after Scarif, is supposed to take them to get Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it... After this scene, it takes off, it joins up with the Profundity with the rest of the main rebel group, docks at the Profundity, it is being repaired during the events of the battle, uh, and it has to make an emergency takeoff uh, and escape uh, out of the Profundity. That is what's going on with the, the rebel blockade runner. In the timeline of why are they here, but it looks like it took off earlier, that's what's going right. on. Right. Okay, cool. Because uh, they work for Bail Organa and Ramus Antilles. As the Battle of Scarif begins, uh, various battle shots take place. I don't know what you people want me to do to... There's fighting. 
Uh, Jin and Cassian and K2 make their way inside. The rest of the rebels are fighting on the beaches to try to be enough of a distraction for them to get in. Radis and his fleet finally show up, deploying their fighter squadrons. Blue Squadron manages to make its way into the surface, while the rest of the fleet engages above Scarif. Jin, Cassian, and K2 make their way into the vault. Meanwhile, Bodhi comes up with a plan to transmit the data through the signal dish, through the profundity, but this requires the shield gate to come down. Oh, also, in order to get a message to the rebel fleet, Bodhi says that they have to activate a master switch to get a message out. This is slightly confusing. And <laughs> like I said, there's a lot happening at once. These are all the major things that are happening at this section. Right. So to succinctly, Jin, Cassian, and K2 are going to get the data package out of the vault and take it up to the signal dish. Bodhi and the rest of them have to do two things. One, they have, well, they have to do one thing. They have to flip the master switch and in doing so, get a message to the rebel fleet to tell them to open the shield gate. Rebel fleet has to take the shield gate down so that Jin and Cassian and K2 can transmit the data via the massive signal dish at the top to the profundity. That's what's going on in this sequence. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff is <laughs> happening, but I'm, I'm summarizing very briefly. I love the calm gambit that Bodhi comes up with, where they hear all these pads are calling for reinforcements. So he calls for reinforcements for the wrong pad and then tosses the thing to the guy and is like, call and tell them that they're at a different pad. I love that. Right. Causing chaos and confusion. That's the point. All right. Is it A-T-A-T or is it AT-AT? Well, in this one, I think it's, it's different, right? It's A-T-A-C-T. Right. So Which is different whether or not it is A-T-A-T? pronounced... A-T-A-T? Whether or not, I, I believe it is slightly different. The reason I'm bringing this up, so there's a long debate that spans all the way back to Empire Strikes Back on whether it should be correctly pronounced A-T-A-T or at-at. In this movie, the character of Pal refers to the four-legged things that are attacking them as at-ats. He says, Carabast at-at. So okay. I... I would need to check whether or not it's pronounced differently elsewhere, but for the purposes of this movie, it is called an ADAT. I do believe you're right, and it's actually the A-T-A-C-T. Let me double check that. Yeah, it's okay. it's technically the A-T-A-C-T. According to StarWars.com, it's a larger version of the standard combat A-T-A-T. Don't get on my case. I'm going to pronounce it both ways. It's just funny that, like, it's, it's like if they would have just said it in the movie, goddamn movie, like, we would have been fine. Well, there's there's arguments for both sides. There's arguments that the the letters A T are an actual word, and you should pronounce it at as an at at. There's arguments that you wouldn't call an A T S T ast. Right. Uh, you would call it an A T S T. I mean, technically, you call it a chicken walker. That's that's my point. But it's like it's Imperial Walker and Chicken Walker. There, I don't know why people Imperial have all walker. these like. You're not gonna call like you call it an iPhone. You don't call it an iPhone 6s. Like you don't you don't use the full thing. You just call it your iPhone. I will be interchangeably using ATAT and ADAT. Got it. So don't get on my case. It's the Marcion Martian thing all over again. I don't think that's a debate, but okay. That's that's um, a huge debate. That was mentioned. That was mentioned on the celebration stage. 
Uh, the the so. authors, the authors debate if it's Marcian or Marcian. How can the authors debate if one whoever wrote it first is the one who decides? Because there's both canonical versions, and it's uh, I don't have time to get into this with you. We will get it. <laughs> we will get into Moving it in a later on. later project. Um, yes, so three fighter squadrons show up. Blue squadron, uh, which does all get destroyed. Red squadron, and uh, what's the third squadron that shows up, Bradley? Yellow squadron. <laughs> I fucking hate you. Gold squadron, of course. Gold squadron. Gold the squadron basis is in of this our movie. name. The gold squadron shows up. Yep, I get very excited every time I see Gold Squadron. Now, where it gets a it's, it gets a name drop, I'm like, "That's us! That's us!" We came up with the name. Gold Squadron is here uh, for Gold Leader and Red Leader. They are repurposing. This is neat. They are repurposing footage from A New Hope that they've remastered. But they also had one of the voice actors, I think it's Red Leader, come in and record additional dialogue. So if you see shots of Red Leader in the cockpit, it is footage from A New Hope that was unused. It was alternate takes. And then any time that it's cut away, and they will do this mid-sentence to get the lines they want. It's fucking impressive. If it cuts away, it's the same guy 40 years later doing dubbing new lines, I, I think. Let me double check. No, I, I mean, that sounds right. And also, it's just cool. Like the yeah, fact I, that they I did this. I believe it is the same guy. It's just, there's just something about the visual aspect of it. When you watch this movie, you're like, that's so cool that that's vintage footage that they just enhanced to. to oh yeah, that's definitely thing. vintage footage that they enhanced. And they yeah. had somebody, I think it was Red Leader that they came in and, and did right. it after the it's fact. really cool. Yeah, that was, um, uh, looks like I think it was, it was Gold Leader. It was Gold Leader. Copy Gold Leader. I double checked it um oof. this is the thing charles should have researched yeah it is gold leader it is gold leader so anytime you hear him and it, you see him in the cockpit that's footage from 1977 if you hear his voice and you're seeing the outside of the y-wing that is a voice from 2016 that is the same guy uh i love Bodie's arc of coming around to, to regaining his confidence. Cause by this point, he's the one that realizes what needs to happen. He's the one directing everyone that you need to find the master switch. We need to get the calm open. He's the one that comes up with the plan. And I do love that. I think he's a very underutilized character elsewhere and he needed to be in more stuff. I have a note here. So this is why they make ATHs laser proof. Cause blue squadron comes down and then just blows up like blows up the ATACTs at Axe. At Axe. See, it doesn't at work Axe. if you do it like that, yeah. At Axe. Terrorist. Act, act. <laughs> Sounds like a goose. Act, act. In the sequence is multiple, where Jen and Cassian are attempting to retrieve the data, data tape. There are several Easter eggs to upcoming projects, some of which were intentional, some of which were filled in later. Okay. Three in particular... They mention hyperspace tracking. Okay. This would be relevant one year later in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Right. And the recent novel Shadow of the Sith bridges the gap between the two. It has mentioned what the Empire exactly was trying to do with hyperspace tracking. And Luke and other characters do successfully use hyperspace tracking in Shadow of the Sith to track Ochi of Bestoom. Okay. 
Shadow of the Sith is a good book. They also mention a project, Black Saber. We don't know what this is, but it's probably a reference to the Darksaber. I would expect this to show up in Mandalorian. And they mentioned Project War Mantle, which was a big part of Bad Batch Season 1, which is the replacement of clone troopers and the conscription of stormtroopers. was Project War Mantle. Nice. These are fun Easter eggs. No, definitely. I wish they would have been like, <laughs> they would have thrown random ones in there. And then we would have been like trying to figure it out and everybody's like, and they don't mean anything and people would be spending all their time trying to figure it out. And then they just randomly, like they're like in Kenobi, they're like, oh yeah, Project Oblivion. Like that was definitely the thing that we're talking about right now that we didn't plan all the way back in Rogue One. Yeah, I feel like like War Mantle was just a name that they picked yeah. uh, out of that. They were like, oh, we'll do Project War Mantle. This is the purpose of story group is to, to help tie these things together and Basically, a lot of people are very incorrect about what story group does. Story group just makes sure everything is consistent and that filmmakers and creatives have the tools they need to be consistent in the storytelling and be consistent in the universe. They don't decide what the story of Star Wars is going to be. Pablo Hidalgo is just a glorified encyclopedia checker. He will be the first to tell you he does not have as much power as people think he has. K2 sacrifices himself to buy Jen and Cassian time. They decide to ascend up to the top of the tower and manually insert the data disk to transmit it to the fleet. They have an encounter with Krennic. Cassian gets shot and apparently is dead. Meanwhile, on the beach, Chirrut sacrifices himself to activate the master switch so that Bodhi can get a message to the rebel fleet. Bodhi also dies immediately after sending this message by having a grenade tossed into the ship. I did also skip over Bodhi like running out and connecting the wires manually to the shore troopers. That is a very brave moment for the character that I wanted to be sure I mentioned in the summary. Baze also dies by taking out the death trooper squad uh, and dies looking at Chirrut, which is very sad and also gay. And up top, Admiral Radis devises a plan. K2's death was very sad. I mean, honestly, any droid's death is sad in Star Wars just because they always make you care about them for some reason. The problem with this is I felt like people were getting so attached to this K2SO character. Like he was so funny. He was so good. He was so new and fresh and interesting. Yeah. And then he died. And he just dies, which there's is so a frustrating. Reason, there's a reason that like, he's shown up in some other things because people really liked him. Ugh. His, his death was sad. Um, In the novelization, which I've, I haven't read at time of recording, I meant to, and then time crept up on me. I've been reading Servants of the Empire instead. They do mention in the novelization that his last dying thought is he chooses to imagine however improbable a scenario where Cassian survives, and that makes him happy. So that mm. is sad. Don't know what those TIE fighters are that they're dogfighting with. Uh, I thought they might be TIE daggers, but they're not. Those are from Rise of Skywalker. Didn't have time to look it up. So maybe in the intervening time, I'll look up what those TIE fighters were, but they're really cool. So Baze has a little arc of like reaffirming his faith in the force that I liked. I like that, that the last things he says to Chirrut before Chirrut dies, or I am one with the force, or either he says it or he says it right after. That was right. very sad. They, they were husbands. Definitely. Uh, so there's not much you can say about these deaths beyond they were sad. They were sad. I cry. Yeah. Bodhi was, I think, the point where I realized none of them were going to make it. Yeah, because it does seem a little, well, yes and no. Like, I feel like I could see a, I could see a reality where 
they killed Bodhi and then it's like, okay, he was finally brave and then he died, you know? And then that, everybody that else That was survived. the point of the character arc. Right. Well, because K2 had already died and Shirt had already died. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. I see K2 sacrifices yeah. himself for Cassian, if that makes sense. Chirrut sacrifices himself. His death causes Baze to reaffirm his faith in the Force. Fine. Then Bodhi died, and I was like, oh, none of these motherfuckers are making it off this planet. Yeah, it does. It's weird, though, because I still, to this point, I didn't think that they would kill Jin and Cassian at this point. Like, I still was like, okay, they can still make it. Like, it's still happening. Okay, we're going to keep going. Like, Yeah, it's... The deaths in this movie, they're impactful emotionally, uh, but some of them, like, Bodhi's in particular for me felt like, well, we're done with the character, die now. Like, he doesn't die, per se, for any given purpose. He he just completes his character arc, and then he dies. Right. Which I can see if Bodhi was one of the ones that I think would have made it off if if they were going with the original ending, where some, most of these characters survive. But he was the point where I realized none of them were going to make it back. On top of the tower, Jen, now alone, angle re-angles the deflector or the, the communications disc to transmit the plans, but is confronted by Orson Krennic. She says that she is the daughter of Galen and Lyra Urso. Krennic also has bravado, but is shot by Cassian, who survived his fall. Up top, above them, in space, Admiral Radice's plan succeeds with a hammerhead cruiser sacrificing itself to crash two Star Destroyers into each other and then ram them into the shield gate, taking it down. Jen is able to successfully transmit the plans to the Rebel fleet, but not before the Death Star arrives. Fucking hammerhead shit was amazing. And do we, I, correct me if I'm wrong, do we see this in Rebels yet? or the, uh, the I believe, I believe, no. No, we have not seen this yet in Rebels. Okay. Because I remember, don't they, do they, they do bring it up again in Rebels, right? A hammerhead? Yeah, hammerheads show up again in Rebels. Well, they're, they're a giant reference to, um, they're a giant reference to Knights of the Old Republic because uh, they originally, they debuted in Knights of the Old Republic and, and they've gotten used later on. Right. Well, either way, I mean, it's a, it's a glorious scene. Um, just watching glorious. it. I love space battles, but this was, this battle of Scarif is one of the coolest like space battles, especially with this hammerhead because it hits the ship, then it hits the other ship. <laughs> I like, like any time that someone uses the 3D nature of space in their battle tactics. Yeah. Thrawn does it in Ascendancy. I believe it's in Ascendancy or it's in the Thrawn. I think it's in the Thrawn novel actually that he does it. Mm-hmm. But anytime they use the like verticality of space, I did just double check and and yes, this does appear to be its first appearance. No, hold on. So Wikipedia is claiming that a princess on Lothal. No, fact checking in real time. Uh, this fir- it first appeared in Rebels. That's what I thought. It first appeared in Rebels. Uh, January 20th, 2016 was the first appearance of the Hammerhead Corvette. It is a holdover from Knights of the Old Republic. Okay, I thought so. Because I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I saw it for like a hot second in the show. And I was like... Yeah, no. It, it, I thought the second season was after this movie. The second season was after Force Awakens. Got it. And this premiered midway through the second season, I believe. No, this premiered after the second season. This premiered midway through the third. Uh, I love Krennic's face when he realizes who Jen is and then tries to play it off. We also get the the 
beginning of one of the best pieces of Star Wars music, which is the Your Father Would Be Proud, the music that plays over the end of the movie. Absolutely fantastic. Here's what I fucking love about this scene, though, is after they transmit the plans, Jen is straight up about to go murder Renner. Yeah, she's like, get let me at him. She has to be held back by Cassian. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe we should have, like, let her do that. I get that it's poetic how he dies, but, like, like, Maybe also it would have taken like 0.2 seconds to let her shoot him. Under Tarkin's order, the Death Star fires single ignition reactor on Scarif, destroying the base, killing Krennic, Jin, and Cassian. However, it is too late, and Rogue One has already transmitted the plans to the Profundity. Darth Vader appears and boards the Profundity, slicing his way through rebel soldiers in an attempt to get the plans back. However, the rebel blockade runner escapes and the plans are handed off to Princess Leia, setting up the sequel to this movie, which would premiere 40 years earlier. (laughs) That was me attempting to like off the cuff summarize the events of Rogue One. That was really funny. Three episodes. They are not as clean as Bradley's because I've literally been making them up on the fly. Uh, it is poetic that Krennic is killed by the weapon he built. Um, the, our, honestly, it's funny because you see the way this shot is set up, you see the laser um, kind of starting up on the Death Star, and then you see Krennic looking up at it, and you see the green glint in his eye of the laser, and then it zooms out to the top of the tower, and you see the laser disintegrate the top of the tower where he is at so fucking hilarious because it's like Tarkin getting the last word essentially it's yep. amazing so in the in the original apparently original version of this uh he was supposed to be killed by Vader this is so much better so it's much Tarkin better. getting the last laugh yeah he's getting killed by the weapon he built it's chef's kiss so, so good of a fate for him mm-hmm. uh and then Jen and Cassie and getting their moment of peace on the beach of, of finally being done with fighting Right before they're engulfed by the destruction of the Death Star. They are really hammering home the whole nuclear bomb thing. Uh, especially since you can see it, it's on a beach. Like, and it's you can on a see beach. it. Like, you can see it coming towards, it's, it looks like a fucking nuclear bomb because it literally is one. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And also just the flash of light where they the characters just disappear once it gets to them. Like, it's just so beautiful. Like, it's amazing. I'm so glad they reshot this ending because this is so beautiful and so poetic. And and I was talking to somebody the other day and and they raised the point that it makes A New Hope so much more emotionally intense when you know the sacrifices people went through to get them to that point. It's excellent. Um, And and I want to point out too, I, I like that one of the things they did was they had Jin and Cassian, you know, hold each other it wasn't a kiss it wasn't romantic it was like uh i'm here for you you're here for me kind of thing like it it wasn't romantic at all it was very like we're the last two people together like and we we made it you know what i mean we're at the end we 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 did what we needed to do the fight is done we can and he tells her like your your father would be proud of you right which if galen ursa saw her at the beginning of the movie i don't think he would have been i think he would have been disappointed in what she became but the events of this movie she became everything her father wanted her to be and more in a new hope they explain that several vader says several transmissions were beamed to this ship by rebel spies so this is the explanation for that uh they were beamed 
actually to the profundity first, and and then they were physically taken to taken to the Tanavi four. So the Darth Vader hallway scene. This scene rules. This is peak Star Wars for me. This scene, I have heard some criticisms of the scene that people don't like Vader demonstrating his his full power on these rebels. I don't think he is. They're wrong. They're, I, I've seen Vader go full power before. Right. I, you see him do it in the Darth Vader comics. You see him do it now in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Uh, this is child's play to Vader. Oh, no, yeah, he's barely using a fourth of his energy. He's, he's definitely barely just, using yeah. a fourth of what he can do. He's toying. He's pissed. Right. But he's not like, we've seen him rip ships apart physically with the force. Right. Like, it's this is nothing. And yeah. here's what I love about this scene. Somebody on, I think, I've seen, I think I saw a Tumblr post about this back in the day. And it's never left my brain. So Vader's breathing is his life support system. He doesn't control the breathing. He can't stop breathing. Right. The only way he can do that and the only way that he can not have lights on his chest is if his life support system is turned off. So Anakin Skywalker, this fucking drama queen, the theory goes, and I love this, that, you know, he walks up and stops and then you hear the breathing start this motherfucker turned off his life support system walked up to the rebels just so that he could do another he so he could turn it back on so he could do an ominous reveal like he literally turns his life system off and i think somebody literally in the post pointed out that your cape will not bellow in space he's using the theory goes the cape there's no um air in space so the cape can't be moving in the wind so vader is making the cape move with the force he has done this whole thing just to be (laughs) fucking dramatic turns off his life support to be dramatic waves his cape to be dramatic he's just a dramatic motherfucker can it not just be the air is escaping like into space and that's why his cape is flowing don't ruin my darth vader is a drama queen headcanons with i mean he already is a drama queen but i'm just saying like the force field's down so maybe it's just the air the oxygen escaping it's sucking it in like and that's causing maybe it is the force from the tanavi 4 taking off okay it's doing it there you go i don't know uh and then they hand the plans off to leia that is a a body double. Uh, let me see if I can find the name real quick. How'd you feel about this one? Uh, I was fine with it. I thought it was a nice way to end the movie. Because this one nice gave me movie, but I, this one gave me Uncanny Valley. See, Tarkin gives me more Uncanny Valley. See, I I disagree. I think it's the opposite. I think this was worse. I think this was really bad, actually, compared to Tarkin. You think this one was worse? Yeah. I guess maybe they might have spent more time on Tarkin. And I think that's what it was. I, I honestly feel like I mean, I wish they would have just done it to where like they opened up the door, you see the back of her, and then like been like, oh, it's her. Like, and then that, that's where they cut it. That's you what I thought they face. were doing. And they recast they recast Ramus Antilles. I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. scrolling up through and I couldn't find who the the body double was for oh. Leia Organa. But that is Carrie Fisher's voice. Uh, they're right. using the word hope from an alternate take of Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope. Nice. They are using an alternate. I am determined now to find this actress. Ingveld Delia. Oh, God. <laughs> or Dila? 
Ingvald Dyla is the the actress, the Norwegian actress who who portrays the body double for Leia. Alrighty, let's do our directed and written by. Sure. So that we can close this out because there may or may not have been massive production issues with this episode <laughs> uh, that have got us up to the wire pretty hard. Uh, so this movie is directed by a gentleman by the name of Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards, uh, pulling up his IMDb, does show up in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson has a cameo in this movie as one of the Death Star operators. Gareth Edwards has a cameo in Last Jedi. He's the guy who gives the other guy a look when he says the word salt. He has made, as far as directing credits, he didn't have a lot of directing credits before he made this movie. Uh, His big one was Godzilla, the 2014 Godzilla. Right. The one with, um, yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, Brian Cranston. He directed that movie. Uh, Hmm. And then this was literally next. Fairly impressive because he does such a good job with this movie. Right. Uh, It is written by Chris White and Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy is the super important one because he is the writer, partial director, and showrunner for Andor. Nice. Love it. Uh, Love it returning. So he he returned. He wrote additional dialogue for the reshoots and served as the second unit director. Uh, His brother, John Gilroy, was the editor for the film, apparently. Yeah, it looks like Gary Whitta wrote an original draft of Rogue One and then Chris Weitz took over and then Tony Gilroy wrote uh, a good chunk of the new act three. Um, So I was just on the Wikipedia or the Wikipedia and I'm like at the end of the article, you know, where it's got all the plot and it says that the original script ended with a wedding. What? Um, In the first draft, everyone did not die and it ended with a wedding. What in the hell? I'm now and now I need to know who got married because uh, was it Baze and Chirrut that got married? <laughs> Baze and Chirrut almost amazing. got married in the movie. Oh my god! Oh, there it is. Yeah, the Witta script also ended in a wedding. That is bizarre. Crazy. Like I now I need to know. Like I need to see the original script. I want it so badly. I think he's done interviews about what was in the original script, but nobody whines about this one because it's pretty universally accepted as being good. And it also won't get you rage clickbait on the internet if you say that it's bad. Right. I get heat for saying it's one of the weaker scripts for a movie. I get heat for this, even though I'm correct to say this. No, I agree. I think it is a weaker script not to say the movie's not good but you're right I but think it makes up for it up, yeah. it makes up for it in a lot of ways and and a lot of the weakness of the script is just what we saw on the final screen um it was written and rewritten especially that third act was a lot right all righty well bradley do you have any final thoughts for us on our journey through rogue one a star wars story um yeah i mean you know i, I was glad i like all these characters i think they're fun i'm 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 kind of glad that we're, we're going to see some of them again, possibly, you know, in a new show that's coming out to uh, Disney plus near you. Um, yes. So I'm very excited to see that. I, it was nice to go through the film kind of with a fine tooth comb. And obviously we didn't address every reference, every right. Easter egg, everything, uh, even, even breaking the film down into three acts. We, we didn't do it. Like I just mentioned the Ryan Johnson cameo. 
but it was a fun journey to go through it and watch it again and take those notes and, and do some research and look things up. This has been a fun little experiment, Bradley. I have, it was. I have a, it's a nice little, like, I don't know if we'll ever do this again, but this is a fun little experiment to try to take the TV and, and apply it to a film yeah. instead. I mean, I'm just like in an alternate universe, we did this with Rise of Skywalker and it was like eight episodes long because there's <laughs> so much fucking shit in that movie that it would take us forever to get through that movie. Uh, it, see, I, I see now why the Star Wars minute guys do a minute of footage. Yeah, because it, it's you, too much. It's you can. Much. There's so much packed into these films. I know. Alrighty, well, at some point in the future, we will get to Andor. I cannot explicitly promise where the fuck we are in the schedule because uh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know where we are in the schedule. At some point, we have done or will do Lego Summer Vacation, and then we might do one more episode before our Andor episode zero. Right, so Andor is coming soon. To Andor is coming soon. Coming soon, and then, like you said before in the first uh, episode, two weeks ago that we are going to two be weeks ago or three weeks batch. ago or four weeks ago. It's hard to say. Right. Yeah. So the plan as of right now for gold squadron gaze is that we are going to cover, we're going to give Andor room to breathe. This does not mean that we think bad batch is a lesser show than Andor. Andor's just coming out first. And right. we don't want to switch back and forth between doing bad batch and Andor for X number of weeks. At time of recording, we don't have official confirmation on the date that Bad Batch will premiere, but it seems to be sometime during Andor. We want to give Andor room to breathe, and we want to give Bad Batch room to breathe. So right now, the plan is we are going to do our coverage of Andor normally, then we will do Bad Batch, and we will fill the time in between Mando, Andor and Mando Season 3 with the Bad Batch. We will, we will go back and finish Season 2. So that is our plan as of now. Bradley, let's uh, let's go ahead and run those socials. We can finally stop talking to each other because we've been at this for four and a half hours. You, you mean the three weeks, four the weeks. The three weeks, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, we definitely didn't record all these episodes in one super long Sunday. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Welcome to Gold Squadron Gaze fans. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe and uh, follow us on all the social media so that you can get all the latest Gold Squadron Gaze news. Just kidding. Um, I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I hate you so much. <laughs>